0: Thank you so much for listening to this pre recorded episode of Pub Talk Live. To find out more about the show and find out how you can watch live, go to pubtalk.live. Thank you so much to my Patreon podcast sponsors, Brenda Drake, Jay Lynn, and Reframe. I almost forgot to unmute myself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the December 12th episode of Pub Talk Live, the live publishing talk show airing the second and fourth Saturday of every month at 9 p.m. Eastern. I am your host, Sarah Nicholas. I'm a young adult author, uh, board member, and agent liaison for Pitch Wars this year and a library event planner. Uh, You can subscribe to Reminders via email by clicking on the link in the description so you don't miss a show. Uh, You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Live. And if you'd like to support the show, you can find a link to the Patreon near the end of the video description down below as well. That's patreon.com slash Pub Talk Live. So I am going to go ahead and bring on my guest co-host today. Uh, Janice Hardy is the award-winning author of the teen fantasy trilogy, The Healing, Healing Wars... My tongue stopped working, The Healing Wars, and also writes the Grace Harper series for adults under the name J.T. Hardy. When she's not writing fiction, she runs the popular writing site, Fiction University, and has written multiple books on writing, including Understanding Show, Don't Tell, and Really Getting It, Plotting Your Novel, Ideas and Structure, and the Revising Your Novel, First Draft to Finish Draft series. So please welcome to the show, Janice Hardy. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hello. Let's see. Well, thank we you have... for having me on. Thank you for coming. So Laura's here. Almost missed it. I'm glad you're here, Laura. And Jay Hi, Laura. is here saying hello. We got a couple more here. Um, all right. So hey Janice, how's it going? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's going well. It's going well. Yeah. I mean, all things
1: considered, it's kind of crazy world right now, but uh yeah. but been doing a lot of writing, getting a lot of product, you know, a lot of revising done and being productive. So I figure if oh, I'm stuck good. at home, I might
0: as well make the most. <laughs> that's good. And W.A. Sense is welcome, Janice. Awesome. Um, I'm just gonna go ahead and mention if you have not voted in the viewer poll yet, I'm gonna drop the link in the chat right now. So go ahead and vote in that. And it's a pretty simple question. This time it's just, are you giving books as holiday gifts this year? Which was something that best suggested a couple weeks ago and also my significant other suggested this week as well so i was like oh that must be a good question since so many people are suggesting it um are you giving books as holiday gifts this year janice
1: uh, i have a couple that i gave to some people uh they're ones that i had picked up kind of over the over the course of the year uh you know when actually when I was still actually going out before we went into lockdown, I picked up books, find books and some
0: things. Mm. So I tend
1: to use them, collect them at all my different events so I can give them as gifts throughout the year. So yeah, I usually have several.
0: I usually don't give gifts as books. I don't have a whole lot of readers that I'm very close to, but also like, I'm just terrified that they're going to hate it.
1: <laughs> oh, I, You know, I, I get pretty lucky because I, I, go to so many events, I meet so many authors and mm-hmm. it's always somebody that I know. And I have a lot of nieces and my one nephew. Mm-hmm. So I always love picking up books for them because especially for the little ones. So that's always nice. So like they get excited because I, I don't think they realize that not all kids have an entire library of signed books. Like they yeah. do.
0: <laughs> that's maybe when my nieces get older, I'll be able to do that too. All right, and Heather is here. Heather says, hey pubbers. Do you know Hi. about pubbers, Janice? I do not. So that's th- what kind of the um, regulars around my channel call themselves. Um, they they named their own own little fandom community um, yeah. last late last year. So, yeah, that's <laughs> great. Yeah, super great. Um, it was really touching when that happened. All right, so we're gonna go right into news items. Um, you may have heard this happen like right at after the last show so this is a little bit almost two weeks old news but uh book expo and book con are no more read pop has retired the trade show and con effective immediately they will quote explore new ways to meet the community's needs through a fusion of in-person and virtual events that will reach larger larger audiences than they ever could before The Read Pop team is actively engaging in conversations with publishers, booksellers, and other partners. And with their feedback and ideas, they will continue. They will together agree how to best rebuild the events in the future, end quote. So um, it's ending, but it looks like they're going to probably replace it with something. So probably not like really totally ending. (laughs) Yeah, figuring
1: out what to do with it. Well, I mean, that's tough for everybody these days is how... How do you move everything virtually? How do you adapt to to not being able to have huge crowds and stuff? So, um, it's especially something uh, the size of Book Expo, it's probably there's so many more moving parts. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine that it is is much more difficult to figure out how to take that virtual than it would be for your standard conference. So,
0: yeah, definitely. I think it's going to be really hard to. It would be really hard to virtually recreate a lot of the reason why people went to events like that, which is like, mm-hmm. not necessarily the programming, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: I feel like trying to do and Con online, that would be crazy, <laughs>
0: right? Yeah. They did it online, but yeah, it was, I mean, it's it's panels different. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a different thing. And you miss half of it, so. Jay is sad. Jay has went every year for the past four years. Wow, I've never been. Wow. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> Next tidbit. Let's see. Move on. All to me? OK. Yeah.
1: Uh, so uh, ebook distributor Draft2Digital announces they're doing payment splitting, which I think is great because this was something I was wondering about. What happens when you have collaborating authors? Like how do you deal with paying and, and just the hassle for the splitting the royalties? So now they have a new tool that allows authors and contributors to collaborate on projects without having to worry about managing the royalties, so it will assist authors in everything from the tax interview into to managing percentages for splits with any of their work. So if you uh, are out there and you have, you know, you are collaborating or, or you're thinking of doing like an anthology or a group group book or something like that, and you're trying to figure out how to do the do the money and the math and the finances, definitely look into this new tool. I think. I think this is something that's going to be very useful for a lot of authors out there.
0: Yeah, for sure. I actually, um, I worked with a group of four authors and we self-published a continuity. It was one book, you know, it was like five stories Mm -hmm. in the same book. And that was one of the most annoying things about it was um, we had to form, I forget what they call it. It's like a special tax designation specifically for things like this. But like, you know, we had to like form that with the IRS so that, one person didn't get stuck with like all the reported income. Yeah, it was a mess, it wasn't fun. So I'm super glad they're doing this so, so that I know, it's, that in the future.
1: <laughs> I, I you know I don't even have that yet, but I was excited about it because I know there's, I have friends that were like, oh, we should do something together. And it just, it just really, it's one more thing to make indie publishing and to actually make collaborating with with your authors and other author friends mm-hmm. easier. So I thought that was really nice.
0: Maybe we'll do another one now that, <laughs> now that it's <laughs> easier. <right? laughs> All right, we have some, a little bit of like insider baseball publishing news for the next piece. The Association of Authors Representatives, commonly referred to as AAR, uh, is an organization for literary agents. They changed their name to the Association of American Literary Agents in order to better reflect its membership. They've also created in this process a new nonprofit arm called Literary Agents of Change, which will provide stipends for interns and a mentorship program for historically underrepresented groups in agenting. I honestly, I I know it's like a weird thing, but like I love the name change because no one ever knew what AAR was. (laughs) (laughs) So now it's clear. It's clear. Yeah,
1: no, that definitely makes it better, especially if it's literary agents versus authors' representatives. Yeah, you would mm-hmm. think that that would be something for authors, not for agents. But now that I'm sitting here looking at this, I realize I never realized actually what AAR was either. I guess I think I always thought it was authors, not wow. agents. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, it never dawned on me, but you're right. That is a much better name change. Yeah.
0: I appreciate clarity in an organization's name. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Uh, So let's see. So some other fun news. The uh, Independent recently wrote about the changes in reading habits and general preferences since we've all gone into lockdown. So obviously books about isolation, such as Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar and Gabriel Garcia Marquez's novels, 100 Years of Solitude and Love in the Time of of Cholera, were among those that saw the biggest rise in sales, which you'd think people would want happy, cheery books, but no, misery loves company, right? <laughs> uh, streaming services also saw an uptick in pandemic movies, such as 28 Days Later, which is really funny with the vaccine, uh, Contagion and Outbreak. Now, as someone who loves those kind of movies, I, I, that part I understand a little <laughs> bit, but uh, yeah, I think we watched some disaster movies too of them over this year. But, uh, but yes, so it is nice to see that reading is up. So it is no surprise that reading is generally up since everyone is stuck at home. Uh, it, there's a bigger uptick with uh, people with children. But people mm-hmm. are also rereading their favorites and indulging in books that they know bring them comfort. So it's you know they have a combination of looking for fun things and then also returning to those things that you know are going to make you happy, which is, yeah. I think is a great idea.
0: Um, it's So, as you were talking about this, I was thinking, I see a lot of people on social media, I haven't had this issue, I don't know if you have, where they're talking about um, watching TV shows, watching movies, or reading books, and they're having, like, a, a reaction to seeing so many people in one place so close together, like, hugging and, you know. When characters go to a bar, they have like this anxiety because they're like, that's not safe. You shouldn't be doing that, even though it was made before. Um, Totally. So I wonder if that influenced it because people are like stressed out by this. (laughs) So.
1: And maybe and it's like oh they're seeing things that are disastrous anyway i mean my husband and i we have we love cooking shows so we've been watching these cooking shows and we're watching one where it's actually filmed in 2020 so they're doing social distancing but we're like but you're still walking up and you're trying the food and you're breathing over each like you're still doing it and yeah we're having that exact reaction you know and it's funny so yes <laughs> we're,
0: yeah. still, we're still
1: we're that same thing. And this is for stuff that's even live and like going on right now. I don't think I've had it in in existing movies. I've only had it with current things
0: mm-hmm.
1: where I where I know that they're in a socially distanced type environment. Yeah. But
0: it's interesting. Cause I wonder because that makes me think like if people are rereading, maybe it's because it's like they don't have that reaction because they saw that before. So they didn't, you know, never initially had that reaction. So it's safe
1: for them. Yeah. And I think you want familiar with everything out of whack. You know, if if you're feeling very unstable about things, but being able to go back to something that, that, you know, brings you joy and that, you know, is comforting. And then there's no surprises, you know, exactly what's going to happen. Even if there's crazy bad things in it, you know, what's going to happen. So it's not going to like hit you out of the blue or something. Makes
0: sense. Yeah. Um, All right. So we have this next piece of news made me really sad. (laughs) (laughs) which is funny when you hear what it is. Um, So the bad sex in fiction award has been canceled for 2020.
1: The judges
0: canceled the award because they felt quote, the public has been subjected to too many bad things this year to justify exposing it to bad sex as well. (laughs) That is (laughs) Funny, but sad. Yeah. The prize started in 1993 in order to essentially shame, quote, unconvincing, perfunctory, embarrassing, or redundant passages of a sexual nature in otherwise sound literary novels. Um, this is a good time to mention all the news items that we talk about, the links are going to be available in the description after the show. So if you're watching live, it'll be um, up there about 10 minutes after we finish. Uh, if you're watching the replay, it's probably already there. And if you're listening to the podcast, they're already there in the description. Um, but it actually has some quotes from previous winter winners. So if you want to see like what kind of things win this award, it's I think it's highly amusing. Um <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's worth checking into.
0: <laughs> I was actually talking about this with my coworker today and I was I was sad about it because so they're saying the public has been subjected to many bad things and my thinking is they have already been subjected to this. But because the books are already out there, you know. That's true.
1: <laughs> That's true. They're there. At least, at least, let them have a laugh over it. Yeah.
0: So they're the, so the authors aren't being shamed. Um, but I mean, all the authors take it pretty good-naturedly. Um, some of it treat it as like a, an honor. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: That's funny. That's cool. Oh, oh. Let's see. Uh, moving on to some some actual sad news.
0: Yeah, that's an awkward segue.
1: That is an awkward segue, <laughs> I know. But it's still sad news, sad news. So lighter sad news, darker sad news. Um, legendary science fiction author Ben Bova uh, passed away at the age of 88 a few weeks ago. Um, he is was a scientist, a Hugo Award winner, a prolific science fiction author, and editor. Uh, ben Bova passed away on November 29th due to complications from COVID and a stroke. He was the author of more than 100 books, as well as the editor of some of the genre's best known publications. Uh, Bova's best known works involved plausible sciences about humanity's expansion into the universe, looking at how we might adapt to live in space. And I believe Sarah had some things to yeah. add. About
0: this. Well, so have you met him? Did you meet him?
1: I never got to. Never okay.
0: Met him. Yeah, so I've met him several times because he actually lived in Florida. um, And so he would come to like some of the smaller like science fiction conventions um, like Oasis and Necronomicon. And um, so I was even on, I think, two panels with him. And Mm -hmm. I remember like I saw his name and I was like, wow, he's like a legend. Like that's a big deal, you know. And um. And then I met him and he was like, so chill. And I mean, I don't want to say anything (laughs) bad about other sci-fi writers, but you know, sometimes the big ones, like they have a certain aura about them, right? Um, And he did not. And to the point where I was like, is it another Ben Bova? (laughs) It's like, wait, you should be, you should be
1: have a lot larger head on yourself. Wait a minute. Oh, that's funny
0: we did a panel on on publishing and um someone had asked him directly a question about editing i was there as Arya, my pen name mm-hmm. and uh he was like actually i'm going to ask aria to answer that because i think they would know the answer better than i would and i was like <laughs> that's very gracious yeah yeah well, it was nice very gracious you.
1: Mm-hmm. that is nice to hear I mean it's always especially when you then there's an author or an actor anybody any celebrity or somebody that you like and you admire and then to find out they're just generally a wonderful person on top of it it just makes you happy like I don't want to hear anything horrible about people that I like who I, whose work I like and admire because then it's difficult to enjoy their work mm-hmm. after that if you know they're a terrible person so it's nice yeah. to hear someone of Bova's stature and talent was truly
0: a genuinely good person that's nice yeah, he was funny too. So, definitely will be missed. Um, all right. So, iconic Denver bookstore, the Tattered Cover, has been sold. Entrepreneurs Kwame Spearman and David Back purchased, (laughs) Laura, I see our comment, purchased the bookstore and formed an LLC with a diverse group of investors and advisors, including the retired CEO of the American Booksellers Association and John Sargent, who you may know as the outgoing Macmillan CEO. The new owners announced the sale with the statement that Tattered Cover is now the largest Black-owned bookstore Um, And so this uh, news item actually has two different articles that I'm going to provide for y'all if you want to read more about it. Uh, Because many black bookstore owners have criticized that narrative um, because it's actually owned by like a large group of people and one of them is black. So um, it was was weird because this came in my email as like a one-two punch. Like I saw the first piece of news and then my very next email was the second piece of news. Um, which was just like incredible tiny timing on PW's part, but, um, so yeah, it's was, it's an interesting situation and, uh, they got a lot of investors because they knew that they would need an influx of capital to keep it going, um, giving the F economic climate right now. But, uh, if you're interested in, in bookstores and kind of their, uh, survival tactics right now, both of those articles are going to be really interesting. So something from the
1: just plain fun file. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's house is for sale. And Ian McKellen and Martin Freeman have launched a crowdfunding campaign to buy the Oxford home where Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings. And they plan to turn it into a museum and literary center, which I think is just such a great idea. It's, I can see that being like a pilgrimage for a lot of writers and a lot of fantasy readers. Uh, and actor John Rhys Davies commented that there's no center devoted to Tolkien anywhere in the world. This vision is to make Tolkien's house into a literary hub that will inspire new generations of writers, artists, and filmmakers for many years to come, which I think would be fun. I, I hope they raise enough money to do that because I think that could be a lot of a lot of fun. It'd just be really interesting to have like an entire place
0: dedicated to fantasy and Tolkien and this like
1: just the whole sure. genre I think would be really neat.
0: I, I really enjoy when, um, you know, like these older famous writers, when their former residences are turned into literary centers. So in Orlando, we have the Kerouac house, which was, um, mm-hmm. the house that Jack Kerouac lived in when he wrote Dharma Bums. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a pretty small house. Um, and he actually only lived in half of it, but, um, they it's a, a residency, so they have like one writer a, a season who comes mm-hmm. in and has like a couple of months to to write in the house, you know. And they also do events and stuff, so I love it when they do that. Um, and as just like someone who really enjoys literary events, obviously, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. well, that's my thing. Um, yeah. But the other thing I saw, I saw a couple of people kind of like tweet about this is like you have Ian McKellen and Martin Freeman and John Reese Davies, and they're like. But why are they crowdfunding? <laughs>
1: like I know. Well, it's. Shoot, I don't think I had. I noticed that there's like four point six million or uh, fourteen million. I, I, you know, I didn't write it down as to what the the actual cost was. But it's it's fairly pricey. But yeah, those three three actors, they could have probably bought that fairly easily.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Mm, All right, I'm just going to get this last piece real quick because I think it's related to the interview that we have coming up. Um, so, Amazon doesn't currently allow libraries to purchase the ebooks that it publishes, which means there are over 1 million digital titles readers can't get access to anywhere except Amazon, and that may soon change. In a response to a petition launched calling for Congress to pursue antitrust investigations and possible action against Amazon for its ban on selling ebooks to libraries, Amazon announced it is in discussion with the Digital Public Library of America to allow libraries to license its ebooks. So we'll see. Yeah. Keep an eye on that. Mm-hmm. All right. So it is time for an interview with our special guest. And it is a little bit different today because. Um, our special guest lives in the UK, and it is currently 2 a.m., <laughs> 2.22 a.m., where she lives. So we actually pre-recorded this interview yesterday. Um, so just a heads up, we're going to change clothes real quick. <laughs> uh, magic. Um, yeah. So uh, Joanna Penn writes nonfiction for authors and is an award-nominated New York Times and USA Today, best selling thriller author as JF Penn. She's a podcaster and an award winning creative entrepreneur. Her site, thecreativepen.com, has been voted in the top 100 sites for writers by Writers Digest. And so we're going to switch over so you can watch that pre recorded interview, but I'll still be here. And if you want to interact in the chat, then I'll be here um, to do that. And we'll see you uh, live again in about 30 minutes at the end of the interview. So, I'm going to go ahead and pull that up and there we go. All right. Hello, Joanna. Welcome to the show.
2: Oh, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here.
0: Oh, I'm so excited you're here. So. I listen to Joanna's podcast a lot (laughs) and I listen to podcasts when I'm on my walk and I often post selfies and say what I'm listening to Um, and so that's how Joanna and I connected and so I'm super excited that you're gonna be on my podcast now
2: (laughs) well I always appreciate pictures from wherever people are listening uh, from in the world and um, uh, if people don't know I'm in Bath in the United Kingdom which is why I have
0: a weird accent I wouldn't say weird, (laughs) though I guess I listen to it like every week. So, (laughs) Um, all right, so we're going to jump right into the questions. Um, You have a pretty successful career that a lot of people, um, you know, would like to emulate. So for people who are seeing your career right now and would like to have kind of a similar career, uh, but again, they're starting now, what advice do you have for them? Sure. Well, (laughs) the first advice is something that Lee
2: Child said at Thriller Fest. So if people don't know, if they don't read thrillers, Lee Child, one of the biggest thriller writers in the world. And I remember sitting there at Thriller Fest in New York City about four years ago. And he said on stage, none of you can have the career I have. And I think everyone just went, what? But we all (laughs) want to be you. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's sitting there you know he's multi-millionaire and uh, movies and like the whole everyone's going that's what I want and uh of course what he meant was he started out 30 years ago and his first book you know made him a star and thus his career was born and the publishing industry is not as we know it is not the same in the 2020s as it was in the 1990s and I think so my first point would be to anyone who looks at my career now is to say I started writing in 2006 and uh, I started self-publishing right Went even before the Kindle came out. Uh, Now we're sort of um, a decade beyond that. So I've been writing 14 years as we record this. I've been uh, an independent author for over a decade. And essentially, if you're starting now, you have both... far more potential because I didn't even have the Kindle when I started out, but equally and and there's so many tools, there's so much support, Um, everyone's so honest about how to do things, whereas back then we were just kind of making it up because no one was even talking about it. And also I think now... You can publish globally, you can reach people. So I'd say all, all, there's so many positive things. And then on the other side, if you look at where I am now, you think, oh, well, you know, it's all right for her because she's been podcasting for a decade and she's got a big email list and she's got all these books. Well, that's because it's taken time. So I would say the main question to think about is what do you want your life to look like in a decade? And that's what I would suggest people think in terms of time frame is is a decade. So it's not going to be that first book that probably launches your career. It's going to take time. It's going to take practice in both writing and marketing and also discovering who you are, discovering your writer's voice and also discovering whether you want to do this as a business. So I'm an artist, but I'm also a businesswoman and many people discover they don't actually want to run a business as an author anyway. So those are lots of things to think about, but the main thing is to consider what do you want your life to look like in a decade? And then what are the steps that you can take to get there? And probably number one involves writing.
0: We were just talking um before you came on about how uh, we're doing like a whole bunch of things that aren't writing and like how to balance. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs>
1: Actually, that that goes transition so well into the next question, uh, because my question was uh, with the new year upon us. What are some things that authors can do to kind of get a jump start on 2021? And a kind of a side thing to that is, do you go into the year with a business plan and what you're going to do for the year? Or do you just kind of wing it or, you know, like, how is your structure? And I guess that kind of falls right into that 10 year plan because you can figure out what are your goals, your long term goals, your short term goals. You know, how how do you handle that? Well,
2: actually, it's really funny because as we record this, I'm, I'm just going to have to do product placement because this book came out yesterday, which is <laughs> yeah. your author business plan. <laughs> it literally came out yesterday and I published the audiobook today. today. Uh, so, and what's interesting is I, I have had a business plan since 2008, pretty much, and every year... I do, and I post on my blog. It's been on my blog every year Mm -hmm. since 2008. On the December 30th, 31st, I post a roundup of my year. And then on January the 1st, I post my goals for the year. And then my community have kind of ended up posting comments about the, you know, things. And some people look forward to posting that every year. And the, the reality is that every year we set goals and every year we don't hit those goals and we hit other goals. So for example, we're recording this at the end of 2020. Who would have thought a pandemic would come along? <laughs> I mean, really? So yes. there were lots of goals that possibly people had this year that were impossible to hit so for example I like traveling and that was pretty impossible to do Uh, so my business trips didn't work my speaking didn't work my research trips didn't work but I you know this business plan book is a good example I didn't plan that book so I just thought well I guess this might be useful for people and thus it came out of another lockdown where I didn't have anything to do but but right. But what I would say in terms of preparing for the year ahead, I like to boil it down to two really easy things. So the first one is you need two blocks of time if you want to do this seriously. So if you want a career as a writer, if it's not just a hobby, so you need two blocks of time, um, one which is your writing time, your creative Self, and your other one is your business head so that's marketing, business, email, money, all the things that we have to do to run a business. Um So the reason that you need, I think you need two blocks of time is those are two different heads. You, you know I definitely have two different heads on if I'm writing fiction oh, yeah. or even if I'm writing non-fiction versus doing my month end accounting, for example. Um, So what I would say to people is when I had a day job, so I had a day job between 2006 and 2011. So five years while I was writing sort of my first six books and building up my website and all of that. So I would get up at sort of 5am and I would do my writing in the morning before work. And then in the evening, I'd come home and I basically cut out TV for a few years. This was before Netflix got really big. So it was probably (laughs) easier back then. But basically the morning time was creation time and the evening time was business and marketing and all the things i knew i had to learn to make a success of this because i was always going to be a success i intended that from day one took a while but um you know i had that plan and now of course i'm full time so i will spend more time in a day so the morning creation the afternoon for business um, and what i would say to people is wherever you are in your life cycle so you know maybe you've got kids and so you need to get up before the kids or maybe you write at night when the kids have uh, gone to bed uh, you know you have to find the time basically but in order to think ahead for 2021 that's the first thing is when's my creation time and when's the time I do business and marketing. And it doesn't have to be every day. But those are two blocks you have to figure Mm -hmm. out in order to do this. And then the second thing is to put it in your calendar. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I use use Google Calendar uh, on my phone, or obviously syncs with the various devices. And I every day I have well, not every day, most, you know, weekdays, I'll have my creation time. And then I'll have You know, stuff like this goes in in the afternoon where I'm working on other things. So, like today, I spent a lot of time publishing audio books, and most of the week I've been up at 5 a.m. recording audio books because before the noise of the world. (laughs) So, that's kind of how I've done it for for the last, you know, 14 years, and how I still intend to do that, and how you listening can get started, uh, even if you don't have loads of time. You just have to find those two blocks.
1: That's interesting. So uh, completely side thing, but you it, you said something that, that piqued my interest there. So you record your own ebooks? Uh, or audiobooks, you record- audio your own audiobooks. You'd re- do your own recordings on that. Yes. Yeah, so for my nonfiction,
2: I record my own nonfiction. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's a couple of reasons why. One, you know, uh, do you listen to audiobooks, Janet?
1: I do not. I should, but I do not. But that just, I I have a lot of friends who do audiobooks and and they, you know, I keep hearing when they do uh, the auditions for their readers and everything, and I've been hearing those recently. And so I've been very curious in it. So I was surprised when you said you did your own. I was like, oh, that's neat. Because they always say don't record your own things. But I guess since you are a speaker and an educator anyway, that it makes sense for you to do your own nonfiction.
2: Yes, so for non-fiction, many listeners, so I listen to a lot of audio, obviously Sarah does as well. Um, When you listen to non-fiction, it's actually much better to hear the voice of the author a lot of the time. So a lot of non-fiction will be recorded by the author. Fiction... Not so much. Uh, I've recorded a few of my short stories, but I hire professional narrators for my fiction. Um, but also, if you're a podcaster like I am, then people know your voice anyway, and so it's almost like they expect to hear your voice, and it's a form of marketing. So some people who enjoy my English accent will want to hear me reading um, the audiobook with my voice. Um, so yeah, the the advice is not necessarily oh you should record your own audiobook it is it is a skill and i got voice coaching i've actually written a book called audio for authors which you know gives loads of tips on that but i am so grateful for doing it it's a obviously you make much more profit if you record it yourself you're in control you've got the nuance and also it's a great form of secondary editing so um and also my writing style has changed even for fiction like I got a few reviews with my latest book Tree of Life saying you know since you've move to writing for audio, which is what I do now. Writing for audio is very different to writing for readers. Um, So there's a lot of things there you have to think about and it makes your writing not more poetic, but more, you know, lyrical because you know it's gonna be spoken aloud. So that would be a tip, um, you know, craft-wise for people as well, is really to consider some tips around writing for audio because audio is a sort of really big thing now. Interesting, thank you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was just um, talking with, so the pubbers who are kind of like the regulars on my YouTube channel, we had a gift exchange and we were chatting Wednesday night and we were talking about how when you listen to podcasts regularly, you start to develop a a, like one-sided relationship with a podcaster because it's so intimate. They're inside your head. Like most Mm -hmm. of the time they're literally inside your head, you know? Um, And so you start to think of it as like a friendship, even though you know, you've never probably talked to this person.
2: Um, Although it's funny, I actually said to my husband the other day, of course, my husband doesn't listen to my podcast. And my family, you know, and my family, they don't read my books, or whatever. I think people who have been listening to my podcast for like a decade, probably know me far better than my family. <laughs> because I talk to them. <laughs> you, you listen, Sarah, you know, I talk about all kinds of things yeah. that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily talk to my family about. So <laughs> it's actually quite, I I totally agree with you. And what's great, I mean, if people listening are interested in doing audio, doing podcast interviews, I mean, it's such a great way of book marketing now. And the reason why, and in fact, it was only Frankfurt Book Fair, which is, you know, a big publishers thing, last year was it last year even this year I think it might be this year that the the publishing industry has finally realized that podcasting is a really good uh book marketing angle and uh, I've noticed like the pictures are coming in so much more mm. because what they understand is as you said if someone is a trusted voice and you invite someone onto your show for half an hour you know like you've invited me on your show I'm a guest in your house so people are trusting you to curate this and curation is a sort of superpower in this world of too much content. Because let's face it, there are so many books and it's not just books, it's gaming, TV, film and everything. So what you need is trusted curators who bring you the best stuff. And that's why you you know, everyone picks a few voices to listen to. And that's who you trust. You know, I know Janice with your um fiction training, you know, people come to you to and as a trusted source for that in information. So that's what we've got to realize as authors, you know, if you're listening, who are you gonna pitch to go on their show? And uh, you know, as if you start a podcast, it can be quite um it's a trusted position and you can't abuse that trust, I think.
0: I find a, a lot of people to follow from your show. Um one of my favorites is Lindsay Baroker.
1: Yes, Lindsay's uh, fantastic. Yeah. Clearly oh, I right. need to start listening to podcasts. <laughs> I do, I know. I'm missing I'm behind the times on this one, but I will have to change that for sure. <laughs> Well, it's funny. I think um,
2: the the difference, of course, is that you can be doing other things and listening to podcasts and audiobooks whilst doing other stuff. And uh, like I I haven't read a blog for many years now. I've been listening to podcasts for a long time. And, you know, I often talk about this. You know, you can't actually reach someone like me as a reader unless you're an audio, because I only find information from audio. Um, and that, that's pretty much how I consume now and there's a whole load of people who do that, so it's a really, it's a, it's definitely
0: yeah, a yeah. area. Yeah, I listen to podcasts when I cook. <laughs> All right. Um. So, what is one of the biggest mistakes, Joanna, that you see indie authors making right now?
2: Uh, well, first of all, I would say we all make mistakes, so don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've made some big ones. In fact, on the Ask Ally podcast today, uh, me and Anna Ross actually did a show on all our failures, mistakes, and epic, epic fails over the last 15 years. <laughs> so we actually had a hilarious show. We just listed all the things we did wrong. I'm going to have to go find that. Yeah. I know. Me too. That is not... It, it's going, you're going to make mistakes, that's part of learning. Possibly the best thing, well, one of the best things, many great things about being an independent author, one of them is you can just upload new files. (laughs) So, if you feel like it's a massive mistake to upload a file with some typos in, whereas we know traditional publishers do this too, or if you feel like, oh, my book cover, oh, it sucks, you know, I didn't realise it at the time, but it actually sucks, don't worry, you can upload new ones. So, I'd say that Possibly, I think the biggest mistake at the moment is people not realising, especially Americans, sorry about this, but Americans think that the whole world is America and that the only site worth publishing on is Amazon. And so I feel, as obviously in in England and people in the English-speaking world who are all (laughs) over the world... Uh, and having actually sold books in over 150 countries now, which is just mental, it, the biggest mistake, yeah, I mean, the biggest mistake is not thinking globally because the power, I mean, this this show, uh, do you know where your listeners are, Sarah?
0: Yeah, um, actually, I do. Well, the regulars, because we interact so much, um, but we have uh, one person, especially from Australia, who tunes in every week, so yeah.
2: There we go well there's an example and probably if you look at your demographics on your youtube they'll be from all over the place and you know my podcast is downloaded in 220 countries so the fact is if you publish a book only in one country or if you sign a traditional publishing deal in one country then please put your book everywhere else so that everyone else in the world can access it because this is online marketing, podcasting is online marketing, Twitter is uh, Facebook, these are all online marketing channels. And one of the main reasons people pirate books is because they can't actually get it in their own country. Like I remember, I mean, obviously, I'm a book lover, I I spend all my money on books, I just love books. Um, But the only time I ever thought about piracy was when um, the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss came out, like, a long time ago now, over a decade. Mm. And and I was living in Australia and they didn't release it in Australia. And he Mm. was doing, I was listening, you know, listening to interviews with him and I was like, well, why can't I get this book? What is going on? And that's when I kind of discovered how publishing and territories work. But as independent authors, we don't have territories, we have languages. So the fact is people speak and read English all over the world. So please, uh, independent authors <laughs> and traditionally published authors. I mean, I'm always saying this to, to trad pub authors, check your contracts. Perhaps you haven't signed world English. Maybe you only signed US Canada. And if you only signed US Canada, Self publish in the rest of the world. All you need to do, you know, you can go on Amazon KDP and you can go on Kobo, Drafted Digital, all these sites and uh, put your book out there for the rest of the world. And you don't know where your readers and listeners are going to be. So, and I think this is only going to get bigger. So, I recently read a book called 2030, which is just fascinating. And, you know, the biggest digital growth is outside the U.S. because Mm. obviously the U.S. is a mature digital market but the pandemic has made these new markets kind of accelerate uh, big time into digital. Mm. I've certainly had the best year of sales in a long time and a lot of people have because our All these people are just arriving on the internet and buying books (laughs) on their phones. So what I would say is, I know it's been a tough year, but it's very exciting for uh, digital publishing for, um, so yeah, check your rights and, uh, you know, whether you're independent or traditionally published, look at what you can publish in around the world and do it. Like seriously, it's not hard. You've done this Sarah, haven't you?
0: Yeah, I've I've done it to an extent. I've been focusing on traditional publishing the last couple of years so it's like a little uh different but yeah um I I get one sale almost every month in Denmark
2: Ooh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> Well, that um, segues perfectly into Janice's. Perfectly question. into the next
1: questions. Yeah, so you've been, you recently uh, on your blog were writing and talking about scalable global author business. So like, what are some people uh, for authors who want to take that next step into going into global? Like, how would you suggest they start? Like, what are some tips for them to take their their author business and scale it and go global?
2: Well, as I said, like, it really isn't, you don't really have to do any more than what you're doing. So, um, you know, if you publish on Amazon KDP, for example, there is a place where you can tick worldwide rights, which I do, uh, or you can select different countries. So if you have traditionally published uh, and you have signed a contract for specific territories, you can select all and then deselect, the places where you have licensed your rights because you don't have the right to publish in the places that you've signed a contract for. But I bet you, like if, unless you've signed World English all formats now and to be invented for the life of t- copyright, which is surprisingly common and a terrible clause, please don't sign that. <laughs> but if you haven't signed that, then you should have the right to license, you know, to, to upload your work for uh, for these other territories. So Australia, as you mentioned, would be Australia, New Zealand, UK, Commonwealth, you know, lots of everywhere. I mean, India has, what, five times more English speakers than England. Uh, China has four times. And these are educated, middle class Uh, readers with money (laughs) so you know this is fantastic in fact I've got a kindle deal in India uh, in a couple of weeks time you know this is exciting stuff so yeah so the first thing is you don't really need to do anything more um, than you do obviously this is on you know online marketing is global it's it's almost more of a mindset shift of understanding that you're reaching people in other markets. I mean, like someone said to me the other day, why can't I find your book, your print book in the local bookstore here in Bath? And I said, well, I'm, that's not where I'm focusing. Why would I want to do that when I'm selling print and audio and eBooks all over the world? So it, it's, but it is quite a difficult mindset shift for people. Obviously, you can do both. You can have books in your local bookstore and also reach the rest of the world. Uh, in terms of the technical side, um, it obviously is a bit too much to go into. I do have a free ebook called Successful Self Publishing, which goes into all the details of which sites to put it on. But um, certainly with print, you can use Ingram Spark. With audiobooks, you can use Find Away Voices. Um, I actually, uh, in fact, today I've just uh, emailed out about um, selling direct. So I sell from my own website for ebook. And audiobooks. And that's great because there's a lot of people in the world who can't access things like Amazon or um, you know Apple, for example. Uh, so if you even if you sell from your own website, that can be a way to reach more people too. So I think the main thing is it's just a mindset shift of thinking, wow. You know we live in this global world global digital mobile world so how can I make sure my books are available everywhere so however someone hears about me they can actually buy it without forgetting about me in five minutes time and never being able to find my book.
0: Awesome Very cool. Um, It's so great that you were talking about mindset because um, that's actually what I wanted to ask you about. You're a big believer in authors having the right mindset. You have a book on the topic as well as like articles on your site. You talk about on your podcast. Um, Why do you think having the right mindset is so important and how can authors help develop their mindset going forward?
2: Yeah, well, I think that there's a lot of, different mindsets I guess Um, so I I would say you know for this show as you said you you mentioned more traditional publishing I think one of the biggest important mindsets is the empowerment so one of the things I struggle with in the traditional publishing world is this power imbalance of you know pick me pick me Um, whereas in the world I'm in it's I'm an empowered creative entrepreneur and I put my books out there and I sell direct to customers. So the the power, it's where does the power sit? And that's something I think is very interesting. What I'd say to writers is publishers are not charities. (laughs) They're not doing this out (laughs) of the goodness of their hearts. They are a business (laughs) and they do this to make money. Publishing sells books to bookstores, that's what they do. And so they will give you a contract if they think they can make money from you. So please be aware of your value. You are incredible. You are creating intellectual property assets that they want to buy. (laughs) So please be aware of your value. And I think that would be one thing I would say, Like one of my my mission, I guess, is empowering creatives with the knowledge they need to have a successful creative career, however you define success. Now, of course, some people want a traditional deal for reasons other than money, so that's great. Um, But if you, like me, I always intended to do this as a full time career, and also for it to to be a very good career, I was never going to be the poor author in the garret. So that's the other mindset is, do you want to make money from this? Do you want to be an artist, but not a starving artist? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And I personally, uh, I much prefer not being a starving artist. And I think that's also a mindset shift, because if you determine, okay, I'm going to do that, then there are lots of routes to making money as a writer, um, but for me, that mindset is, I love to be in control, I, rec- you know, rec- even recognizing intellectual property assets is something I feel a lot of authors don't even realize what they have created, um, so it's empowerment, it's education, it's getting to know yourself, and this is a journey, obviously, an author journey, um, and you can always write another book, for sure, <laughs> but certainly, I think, Trying to understand what your definition of success is, and how you want to get there over the next decade is is critical.
0: Um, That's one of your uh, messages that I actually really uh, appreciate, Joanna. Is you talk a lot about how um, authors, it's it's okay to want to make money from your work, whereas I feel like there's a lot of people who think like money is like dirty. Let's not talk about money. It cheapens art. And I just really appreciate because it. I mean, it is work, right? And so to to want to get paid for your own work is a normal and okay thing. And so I really appreciate that And you're,
2: Oh, good. Your well, and I think, you know, and if people don't like that, then that's fine because there's plenty of room for poor artists out there. <laughs> but, you know, if you, I, I guess what I want to say is if you want to be a wealthy author, you can be. I mean, I'm not James Patterson <laughs> or J.K. Rowling, but you can make, you know, six figures, multi six figures, you know, you, you, there are lots of authors I know who make seven figures. Uh, So, you know, there are ways to do this that do not involve, you know, selling a book to a traditional publisher for 20 grand. So this, this is the thing I, I would just say to people, please upskill yourself, get to know your options, because we have far more options today and more all the time. Like I just said to you about selling audiobooks direct from my website, this only happened this week, is that BookFunnel now enables us to deliver audiobooks to an mm-hmm. app so that I can make, at the moment, you know, you can make 40% from ACX, or you can make, you know, 25% from some of the other sites. I can now make 90% on the sale of my audiobooks. Yes, and I can make 95, sorry. I said, that's just a huge difference. I mean, that doubles your income right there. It's amazing exactly i can make i can make 90% uh, 95% on my ebooks now most authors are signing contracts for 25% or 50% on on ebooks so this is the thing if you understand some of the economics behind selling books to readers it can become a very exciting world and do you know what i've got to come back to the art though i mean on my wall it says have you made art today Obviously, you can only be a wealthy author if you are producing art that people want to buy. (laughs) So obviously, yes, money is fantastic. But the reason I do this is because I'm an author and I want to do this for the rest of my life. And so the only way to do that is by being successful. Otherwise, I mean, I've been doing this long enough that I know most of the people I started out with have left the industry because of disappointment or not enough money or just not making it. Um, So it's, do you wanna take control of your author career and make it a success in that way?
0: Awesome. All right, we are almost out of time. So I have one more question that I ask every guest on the show. Um, And so that question is, what is the most important book you've ever read and why? Uh, Defining important, however, you want to.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really hard question. I mean, I read, I'm probably four or five book a week person. (laughs) I just read all the time. Uh, But I was thinking like, well, given what we've talked about, then I'll go with a money book. Uh, It's a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Have you heard of Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Yeah. Uh, By Robert Kiyosaki, originally self-published and now one of the best-selling money books of all time, like multi, multi-million sold. And the reason why that was important to me, and I read it probably around the year 2000, is that it talks about the difference between you know the rich dad and the poor dad. And the poor dad was very highly educated, but knew nothing about money and the rich dad knew about business and I was I went to Oxford University i a very highly educated person and I thought <laughs> I knew stuff but I did not know this I did not know some of these fundamentals about money and that book really started my journey into business I started my first business soon afterwards and a uh, few businesses failed as they do before starting the Creative Pen Limited um, around 2008 and so that book Rich Dad poured. Dad by Robert Kiyosaki it's a way in if you don't know anything about money and perhaps I've made you feel uncomfortable then I'm glad then Rich Dad Poor Dad is a good way to start your money journey and I do actually have some more recommended books at thecreativepen.com forward slash moneybooks because I feel like this is an area that does not get discussed enough and authors are not educated enough in. You know, uh, I have a, obviously I have a course on how to write a novel, Janice, you have lots of information on how to write <laughs> fiction and there are MFAs and there are this, that and the other for, for the craft, but the business of being a writer is not so much uh, talked about. So yeah, that would be a book that definitely set me on a particular,
0: path and so i hope that helps people all right joanna thank you so much for coming today and pre-recording so we can i know like it's it's going to be like 2 a.m when the show
2: airs
0: (laughs) 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 so i'm glad we can make it work with your construction and everything going on so um thank you so much you can find joanna's uh website and social media info in the description down below and I'll add that money books link too, so people can have that. Um, yeah.
2: Well, thanks so much for having me. This has been
1: great and lovely to meet you both. Yeah, you too. Thank, Thank you. you. Wonderful.
0: All right, so we are back to okay. being live. That was the end of our pre-recorded portion. Um, I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I did. Uh, I just thought June had so many great things to say. Um, it,
1: was, it was great. It was really fun actually sitting here watching it again, because while we were doing it, I was busy listening and, and talking and asking questions and I didn't get to take any notes. So this time I was actually able to take all the notes for all these like amazing things that she said. Because She just had so much fantastic information.
0: Yeah. That's what I said when I was talking about it. I was like, Uh, Janice and I were taking notes during this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, all right. I had to, because I had to screen share, I have to like get my computer all back to normal. There we go. I'm back. Okay. Yeah. It was a great interview. Um, and if you enjoyed it, make sure you check out her podcast, the creative pen. Um, I listened to it a lot and that's actually how we connected, as I said in the beginning. So, um, I recommend it for sure. Um, all right. So it is time for Audiobook of the Week. Um, as per usual, I am still listening to audiobooks for the Audiobook Awards, so I can't talk about them. But Janice actually has one for us this week. So I'm going to pull that up and let you talk about it.
1: <laughs> oh, let me talk about Oh, boy. Okay. I didn't realize. All right. Uh, well, this is a book called Mazes of Power by Juliet Wade, and uh, in all you know, fair disclosure, uh, Juliet Wade is uh, one of my best friends. I met her about seventeen years ago, and read the first drafts of this book and this series. And it has been amazing watching it grow and turn from this idea for decades ago to actually it, uh, she uh, debuted it, and it, it came out in February of this year. Uh, it is a uh, science fiction, but it's sociological science fiction kind of set in a almost fantasy type world. Uh, it's definitely science, but it's a declining technology and it's political intrigue and wheels within wheels. And it's sort of hard to describe because it's all of these characters who are just fabulous and horribly broken and, hard- and wonderfully heroic at the same time. And they are just trying to stop terrible, terrible things from happening in their society. And it's an under it's an underground cavern society. So they are very limited about certain things. So they, they really are. It's it's almost like a bottle story in that way, because it's this cavern city. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. And the audiobook is is interesting because each there's three points of view, and every point of view has a different voice actor who reads. And awesome. the voices are amazing. They're definitely interesting. So if you like really twisty, uh, clever, brilliantly written, she's just wonderful. And the the antagonist, the bad guy, Nikantor is one of the best characters you are ever going to read. So I highly
0: recommend it. <laughs> Even if she wasn't my friend, awesome. I would still recommend it. <laughs> All right. We'll have to check that one out. All right. And now it is time for the um, to talk about the viewer poll. The viewer poll is ended. So we can go ahead and bring that up once I find it there it is <laughs> all right so are you giving books as holiday gifts this yes. year um so we had 38.6 percent said yes they're giving lots 45.5 said they're giving one or two and about 16 percent said no they're not giving uh, any books as gifts this year um so I feel like that's not really surprising given you know this is basically my Twitter followers voting on this. So (laughs) um, a lot of them are book lovers and they're going to be giving uh, books. But um, like I said, I um, have, I don't really give books as gifts unless I will say like, if I'm going to an event where I know an author is there who my sister really enjoys, I will get a signed book for her or two um so but that obviously didn't happen this year <laughs> yeah and it's tough. yeah it's tougher to get books
1: random books for people you know like unless you know it's an author that they like or it's something you've heard of or it's something that you just know that they're going to like I mean if you're really connected with someone with a particular book but yeah they're so they're so personable or and so personal and it's uh, yeah it's it's hard to do it but
0: I remember one year for a work exchange I had asked for the book The Alchemist thinking of the the Nicholas Flamel series uh, oh. it's like you know that one it's I think it's like mm-hmm. upper middle grade um, yeah, think- and the um the person who was gifting me the book I mean the gift um they got me the um what I can't remember the name of the author but it's like It's not that. It's, (laughs) let me pull it up real quick. It's, it's like, it's a really popular book. A lot of people read it, but it's not anything. um, Paulo, I don't know how to say his last name, C O E L H O, um, which is a very, very adult, very kind of like dense um, literary book, (laughs) which was not what I was expecting. Very different. Yeah, uh,
1: was it good? Did you? No, I shouldn't put you on the spot because if it wasn't, then
0: that'll be bad. So. she <laughs> doesn't follow me on YouTube, so no, I didn't read it. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's fine. All right, so um, yeah, that's all that we have for you today. Uh, Janice, thank you so much for coming on the show um, and doing. You kind of did like twice the work as my usual guest co-host because we had to do the two different events. It was um, kind of fun though. I did mean, yeah. I
1: like that. I, I would not have like watched it again and got all this. So it was like having double duty. I got to like do it and then enjoy it at the same time. So it was actually, oh, I think okay. it worked out well that way.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and Genesis info is also in the description. Um, the, uh, her blog fiction university, right? Fiction university. Fiction university. Okay, good. I got it right this time. Um, <laughs> I keep trying to say writers university for some reason. Um, but yeah, Fixing University is a great site. And it's kind of my go to, like, whenever someone um, has asked a question, like at the library or whatever, about like a very specific craft topic, um, I usually go to your site and like, just search for the topic and send them the articles. Because it's it's way better than like, I could explain it. So
1: <laughs> that's what it's there for. I mean, there's like three, I think i I think I finally broke three thousand articles. I mean, I've been doing it since two thousand eight, and it's. I always say, if you can't find the topic or an answer to the question that you're looking for on my site, please email me and ask me what it is, because I am running out of things to talk about. So, yeah, <laughs> please. Just, I'm always happy to answer questions from writers, and you know that that's why I do it. This is my way of paying all the advice and all the help people have given me over the years when I was starting out. This is my way of paying it forward. So. Nice it's a labor of love.
0: Yeah, definitely check out her site. Cause I, um, I think it's great. I subscribe on my little blog reader on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, all right. So Janice, I'm going to say goodbye to you and just close oh, out yeah. with a couple announcements. Um, thank you again so much. And thank you. you. Bye. Mm-hmm. Oop, I cut her off. <laughs> my bad. Um, all right, so if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like and subscribe right down there so you don't miss another episode and tell your friends because that is how they find out about shows like this. Uh, you can also subscribe via email by the link in the description, um, and also you can support the show on patreon.com pubtalklive if you'd like to um, support the show for as little as $1 an episode, $2 a month, um, and just thank you so much to my Patreon. Uh, supporters, it it really means a lot to me that y'all are here month after month, and I I really appreciate it so much. Um, the social media for our guests is in the description, and upcoming on this channel we have Wednesday write ins every week at eight p.m. with Best Um and then. Next Saturday, December 19th at 9 p.m., we have Agent Chat Live with Amy Gufrida of the Jennifer DCR Literary Agency. Um, and so that's the regular time, Saturday at 9 p.m. on the off week. And then uh, this actually was just decided, like, during the interview that I showed Joanna, um, the special guest for next Pump Talk Live on December 26th is going to be Reba Gordon, who is a... Um, a a librarian at a school. And so we're going to be talking a lot about what she does and and how she chooses books and how she recommends books and how she interacts with the kids about the books and that kind of stuff. So it'll be really good, especially for people who write a young adult and uh, younger fiction. Um, So hopefully we'll see you coming back for that one. Thank you so much for watching. Everyone stay safe, wash your hands, and I will see you next time. Thank you. Good night.